0: On the Block, On Demand! This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Oh baby, happy Friday everybody. Not the weekend yet, you gotta listen to us first. Then it's the weekend. Glad to have you here, if you're just hopping on board, welcome. Been along for the ride so far, we appreciate that. Uh, Syracuse Athletic Director John Wildhack hung right here in studio with us for a good part of the first hour of the show. If you missed that, well, too bad, slackers. What the heck's wrong with you? That's why you got to be here for all two hours of the program. Oh, I guess we'll put it up on the website for you, you and send it out on our iTunes feed too. If you subscribe, to ESPN Syracuse, iTunes, and Google Play, you can listen to it like when you want to. Jeez. So demanding. Uh, Thanks to John for hanging with us. We covered a lot of ground carrier dome ACC meetings. What came out of that expectations for football, uh, John's response to Syracuse lacrosse and those that have said that the expectations need to be higher than they are currently. What he said about that, what he said about sports gambling and the Supreme court decision and how that could trickle down into college sports, the rice commission. And uh, we covered a number of subjects. So if you missed any of that, uh, ESPN Syracuse.com If you subscribe to our iTunes feed We will send that interview to you there As well Now we've been discussing uh, Tyus Battle And what he needs to do in Chicago At the NBA Draft Combine this week And what he has to do is kill it Have not heard from the scout Who knows Because he's busy like working But I uh, have been in touch with him To be in touch later If that makes any sense He has seen Tyus Battle So he'll Kind of give me the full report when he's not as busy as he is now. We'll kind of follow up on that next week. But, you know, Tyus really needed to come in and make an impact because he is a player that's sitting right on the edge of the first round or early second round. Now, if you break it down this way, if you just want to be drafted, he will get drafted. And I think something was said very interesting on this here radio station earlier today with Seth And Steve on Orange Nation. They had Amin al Hassan, who was a former Phoenix Suns executive, was there when Mike D'Antoni was the coach, and, you know, those teams that were scoring, like, you know, 190 points a game, and uh, is now an ESPN analyst. And Tyus Battle falls in the range of somebody who could fall in the second round, is projected somewhere between 30 and 44 right now. With a strong showing in Chicago, all it takes is one team, to feel like you're good, we'll pick you in the first round, he might have a decision to make. And he has that decision until May 30th to make. May 30th is the deadline for Tyus Battle to say, I am coming back to Syracuse or if I am staying in this draft. He has not hired an agent, which means he can come back. Here's what else Hassan said today about, well, what if you are one of these players that's projected to be in the top 50? If I am a guy who's going to get drafted, if I am a solid second-round pick, meaning not like 57, 58, 59, but anything I would say between 31 and 50, you come out. To me, you always come out. If, you, if you're in the conversation, you come out because the, the reality is being a second-round pick is almost an advantage if you're good. About that, and that interview is up at ESPNSyracuse.com if you want to listen a little bit more to El-Hassan with Steve and Seth earlier today. And I think that's something that doesn't get discussed enough because the thought is, oh, you go to the second round. You're not a guaranteed contract. And sometimes it's to your advantage. This isn't for everybody. I'd much rather be a first rounder, have that guaranteed contract and have the assurance of that. But it's not completely the end of the world if you fall to the second round. And there is a Syracuse example of that. They play different positions, and I don't think Tyus Battle is quite the athletic freak with the upside that Jeremy Grant had. And what Jeremy Grant did this past season with the Oklahoma City Thunder is an example of a player that you you grab, you develop, and then, you know, the fruits of your labor come later. He became a key player with that team in the second half of the season. But everybody's not Jeremy Grant. The thing about the draft is, and the thing I'm still not that sure about with Tyus Battle is, what is it that makes you stand out amongst not only all these other players that you're in the group with, but that play your position that makes me say, I've got to take you. I've got to use one of my 60, well, the NBA has to use one of their 60 picks on you. And remember, individual teams have two, three if they're lucky or four if they you know, fall in a year where they made a bunch of trades. What's so special about you that I've got to use one of my draft picks? I think there's been some Syracuse players in recent years that fit that description. Malachi Richardson was one of the better shooters in his group. Tyler Lydon, prototype stretch four, that you take, you develop, and you hope turns into that player. We still certainly don't know that because he spent half the year being injured and the jury's still out on that, but he was a first-round pick and at least gets a few years of guaranteed money. And the investment is, let's see what we got here or we trade you. Tyler Ennis has already played for four different NBA teams, but guess what? He's in the NBA. He's still in the league. First-round pick, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Houston, now with the Lakers. Still in the league. Depending on what your definition of success is, and people always call in, oh, these guys have busted out. Busted out, they're NBA players. Are they all-stars? Are they, you know, for those that want to say that Syracuse players in the NBA, you know, the list of all-stars? in recent years hasn't been fruitful, you make a point. But their objective is just to be professional basketball players, just to be in the league. And again, you some people bring up the G League like it's it's some sort of demotion. You're a professional basketball player. The Darius Baisley thing is going to be fascinating to watch because he's taking an unconventional path to get there. He's going to skip a lot of the upside potential nonsense that you see in college and just can say, I'm here, I'm ready to compete with you now. Let's see how this goes. So what Tyus has to, the message he has to send in Chicago is, I'm special for this reason. Is it because he's 6'7"? Is it because he's got 4% body fat? Is it because his shot is better than the group that I'm in and I'm here to show you that? Will the workouts he will have, and you know we'll see how many he gets before May 30th when the deadline comes, show that, okay, you're a little better than I thought you were here. You need to work on this, but if you're sitting there at the end of the first round, we'll take you. Now, Donna DeTota did something very smart on this today. And it's, you know, something that we all think of and never follow up on, and I'm glad that she did. And that is, well, what happened to the players last year that were in the exact same position the Tyus Battle was? Donna went and did the research on this. So, Tyus is not these players. It's a different scenario. you got to take them by an individual case, but it gives you a sense of how did the guys that were at the Combine last year who were testing the waters fare? Because that's a very specific category to be in, but it's the category Tyus Battle is in. You're good enough to get invited to Chicago. You are thought highly enough by those NBA decision makers that we need to see more of you. In the ultimate job interview for the NBA draft prospects, you know, in a big setting, they they all get individual workouts, too, that sometimes are more important. But if he didn't even get invited to Chicago, just pack it up and come back now because you're not going to get drafted. He did. Okay. Well, who are the players that were in his position that were, air quotes, testing the waters and how they did? So I'm just going to run through it real quick here, and Donna's got more details on this on Syracuse.com. You should definitely read her piece. He had Raul Elkins, Arizona, 6'5 guard, tested the waters last spring, invited to the Combine. He was expected to be drafted, and by May 22nd of last year, eight days after the Combine, he announced he would return for another season. So he comes back. This season he increased his scoring average a little bit, shot the ball worse overall and from the three-point line. He was invited to the Combine again, and this time he's staying in the draft He's a projected second-round pick. Hamadou Diallo, once a, a Syracuse target, tested the waters last spring after enrolling at Kentucky for the second semester. Invited to the combine. and As Donna notes here, impressed those in attendance with feats of athleticism and was projected as a possible late first-round pick. He's a 6 6'5 guard, announced he would return to Kentucky and play his freshman year on May 25th. Back at the Combine this year, where he's expected to be a second-round pick after averaging 10 points on 43% shooting during one year at Kentucky. So he's, you know, upside, athletic, fits the NBA model this way kind of player. So maybe that process worked for him. Frank Jackson, 6'3 guard, tested the waters last spring. After a strong showing during the opening days of the Combine, he says he'd stay in the draft. He made that announcement on May 12th. While the combine was still going on last year, Jackson, who started 16 of Duke's 36 games that season, put up good shooting numbers, projected as a second round pick, went in the second round. He had foot problems, surgeries and uh, injuries plagued his rookie year, so he's kind of an incomplete. Justin Jackson, six seven forward from Toronto, tested in the waters after his freshman year at Maryland. Not projected as a top draft pick after appearing at the Combine. He returns to the Terrapins. 11 games into the season. Tore a labrum out rest of the year. Back at the Combine now, where he's projected at this point to be a second-round pick and still, air quotes, testing the waters. Right? So what we've heard already in a couple of test cases is you can get hurt. You can get hurt in your first season in the NBA. or You can get hurt in college. Much better to be hurt in the NBA when they've already made an investment in you and you have their resources and, oh, you're getting paid to be a hurt basketball player, right? Moritz Wagner, Michigan big man, tested the waters, went to the combine last spring, projected then to be potentially chosen late in the first round, which is kind of where Tyus is at optimistically. Late first round, more like early second round. He's teetering that line. He decides to return for his junior year. So Wagner was Michigan's leading scorer, his leading rebounder, and the best three-point shooter. He improved his pro stock during Michigan's final four run, as Donna notes, with his energy and ability to space the floor. He's back at the Combine, and he's projected to be right where he was projected last year. So he came back and helped his reputation. He strengthened what kind of player he was. He upped his numbers. His projection's exactly the same. Late first-round pick. Thomas Welsh. UCLA big man, former McDonald's All-American, tested the waters after his junior year and participated in the Combine. He goes back to UCLA. He was not projected to be drafted last year. He improved his rebounding numbers, became a 40% shooter from the three-point line. In his senior year, he's not at the Combine. Omar virtsen seven-footer from Turkey, went to the Combine last year, ultimately decided to go back to NC State. As Donna notes here, he contemplated tra- turning pro after a sophomore year at NC State, but instead he's going to Georgetown. So he's staying in college. And there's more examples here. I don't want to read all of them to you, but most of these players that Donna highlights here that fit the Tyus Battle description of testing the waters did not improve their draft stock dramatically. Some got hurt. Some were the, in, in the exact same spot. Some got worse. So it just goes to show you there's really no method to this madness. What it reaffirmed to me is Tyus Battles doing this the right way. If you're going to do this, leave yourself the option to come back. But if you're already in that category of player, what can you do to show these scouts that you are dramatically better than what they already have you projected to be? at least you're getting real advice. You're hearing real feedback from real NBA people who hopefully are being honest with you. And you're putting it out there. By going to the combine, you're putting yourself out there not only to see where you can improve, but to see where they can pick you apart a little bit more. So we'll talk to the scout. Who knows? We'll follow up on this. But how much is Tyus really improving the stock he's already projected to be in? By being at the combine that is the question Because a lot of the guys that fit the description of him and to be fair these are different players of different positions in some cases but a lot of them really didn't help their cause which just goes to show you how much that this is a strike when the iron is hot kind of thing and if you're projected to be a first round pick you go and you worry about the, the rest later he's not projected to be a first round pick universally it's kind of a mix right now got to break on that note but we'll come back with more you're on the block ESPN Radio This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Thanks again to John Wildhat. Syracuse Athletic Director spent a lot of time with us, not only today, had a half hour with the AD in studio, always a good thing, but uh, spent a lot of time with us during uh, the respective uh, Syracuse football, basketball, lacrosse seasons through Uh, The entire uh, athletic year, if you will, starting to wind down, uh, and we appreciate that. John's very accessible and always appreciate uh, his time and his uh, addressing the issues that are out there. We have a lot to discuss. Carrier Dome, ACC meetings, sports gambling, the Rice Commission, some of the other things that we brought up. And then you start to kind of look down the road looking at football, and, you know, that's that's to kind of go off what John said. They want that 13th game, right? That's what they're looking for, and it'll be here before you know it. We're about to settle into summertime, and as I've always said, uh, summer's just uh, killing time till football season, so it'll be here before you know it. Thanks again to John. If you missed any part of that interview, we'll put it up at ESPNSyracuse.com. Right now, hit me with that fancy open, let's hot take this thing. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot. hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. Now, here's an example of... When you hear something, it's not as bad as when you read something, right? Because, you know, in this day and age where people see a headline, they aggregate it, they put it out there. You just kind of see a passing quote or headline or reference. You don't read the story. You don't get it in context. Maybe it looks worse than it sounds. So I want to start with. The actual sound of this quote. This is Michael Porter Jr. at the NBA draft combine. Uh, I understand that there is some some risk with te- teams. How I'm feeling, but I I believe I'm the best player in the draft. Yes. Okay. So he answers a question. He feels he's the best player in the draft. Remember these combines, much like the football combine, and and the process. These are interviews. Everything is said is scrutinized. It'll be out. It'll be put out there. All the NBA media. Is there So when you see that across your Twitter timeline or you see a headline, Michael Porter Jr. says he's the best player in the draft, you make presumptions, right? Well, that kid's a jerk, that kid's arrogant, that kid's this, that kid's that, right? But at the same time, we want our athletes to be honest with us. We want them to tell us what's on their mind and not just give us the, the athlete speak, if you will, the coach speak, if you will. So... I thought that was a pretty honest answer there. Uh, I understand that there is some some risk with te- teams. don't know how I'm feeling, but I, I believe I'm the best player in the draft, yes. So the question is, if you are particularly an NBA team, in this case, or whatever draft it is, that has a top 10 pick, and he could fall in that top 10, and at one time Michael Porter Jr. was being projected as the best player in the NBA draft. And he went through the whole thing of the injury and went to, you know, you know, his story. So he's a unique circumstance because there's a lot of upside in this pick because we haven't seen a lot of him play recently. It's all based on kind of perception. It's all based on formulating opinions on not a lot of true basketball, just upside and potential and measurements and, you know, measurables and all the things that make the NBA draft it's such a great thing to discuss. But I hear that quote and I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, innocent enough. Doesn't sound like a cocky kid to me. Top-rated prospect out of high school, initially suffered a back injury several years ago. He's confident now that he's, quote, 100% healthy after months of rehab. He's already had meetings with the Knicks, Mavericks, Sixers, Suns, Cavs, Hawks, Grizzlies, Rockets, Clippers. To me, he's the example of kind of discussing what the media machine can do for a player it can tear you down but it can also put you in a position where you've heard a name so enough that it almost becomes a brand and michael porter junior has had an interesting life in the media even as a young kid we mentioned how highly rated he was coming out of high school and then he got injured and remember he was supposed to play at washington and that didn't work out and you know mike hopkins goes there and I'm going to get to coach this kid it was projected to be one of the better players in the country and of course you know he had other ideas it just goes to show you what a fascinating process the draft is, no matter what sport it is. Because what you always say is, put on the tape, and that's what I will base my decisions on. What's on the tape? How'd you play? What's your skill set? How does that translate to the next level? Well, there's not a lot of tape on Michael Porter Jr. because of those injuries. There's high school tape, but you know what does that do for you now? So you're trying to project how that translates, which is a lot easier to do with, say, a player like Tyus Battle at Syracuse, who you've got, you know, how many games of tape on. And you can mark the basketball progress, where with Porter, you are forecasting it. You're trying to project it. You're trying to fill in a gap that's not there with guesswork. And now somebody somewhere is going to slap the whatever word you want to use here, arrogant, too confident label on him, because, well, he said he's the best player in the draft. You know what? That's why it's a fascinating process with 30 different teams making 30 different decisions, because I'll go back to football here for a moment and how John Dorsey, the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, goes to see Baker Mayfield work out, saw how he interacted with teammates, Loved how cocky he was, was at the Kansas game when he was grabbing, you know, his groin and was I mean, all the words come to mind here. John Dorsey liked that about Baker Mayfield, liked the edge that he has. There's some GMs that I'm sure love that players say that. And it's it's all how you say it and how you address it respectfully, how you answer the question. If you're just like, hey, guys, get over here. I got I got something here. All right. Bring it, bring it in. Now, if you're LeVar balling it, that's one thing. But if you're answering a question about it, it's quite another. So that's hot. this is a point that I've made on the show a million times. When you see a quote, when you see something, when you hear something, get the full context of it. And I have to speak in soundbite sometimes. so We just don't have the time to go into these things in depth. But I'm always careful to say, look, here's the quote, but look at it in context. How was it asked? Where was it asked? And before you kind of formulate these opinions, you know, I'm not going to get into it too much here because, you know, stick to sports, Brent. Yay, democracy. But there was something that the president of the United States recently said that was, in fairness to him, taken completely out of context. What the answer was to a question that, you know, in the soundbite society, it goes wild on Twitter and, you know, people make presumptions based on that and criticize them. And then the other side, makes their presumptions based on that, and, and on and on we go, right? It's just kind of the world we are, we're in today, and it's unfortunate in a lot of ways. So always get the context of how people are saying things. It's always Uncle Brent's advice to you. Okay, I'll stop being the old man on the porch on that. Interesting news coming out of the ACC, and we just talked to John Wildhack about a number of things that came out of the meetings. The Louisville story continues to evolve here. And we got new details on that Louisville story today. It all started back in September. Rick Patino, we all know what happened there. Tom Jurich wiped out. the. This is why the Rice Commission was formed. This is why they're looking to make sweeping changes in not only college sports, but college basketball in particular. Jurich sued Louisville, right? Disputing his cause for termination and considered, I should say considered suing the university. So instead of going through that, the University of Louisville Athletic Association and the Board of Trustees Friday approved a $4.5 million settlement with the agreement saying his employment ended, quote, without cause as a result of his resignation. See, and again, this is, I'm not trying to point fingers at the media here, it's just kind of how the world works, but when that story broke in September, it did not look good. Because the FBI was involved and you had people that were caught on tape. And you're hearing about money laundering and you're hearing about wiretaps, and you're hearing about assistant coaches literally sliding envelopes over, and you've got a recruit involved in this, and you've got Louisville already on probation. And it's, instead of Rick, you gotta step aside for a while. We're gonna look into this and we're either gonna back you up or we're gonna have to do something about this. But in the meantime, you know, why don't you stay over here? We're going to suspend you with pay while we look into this. That doesn't happen anymore, particularly when you're Patino and you've already got a few strikes. Now, they fire you, and then they fire the AD, and they deal with the repercussions later. And in the case of this, they owe Tom Jurich $4.5 million. So as embarrassing as that was for the university and all the scandal that was, because even in this day and age where things come and go in the 20-minute news cycle, that stuck. We kept coming back to that Louisville story. It was interesting. Rick Pitino kept speaking out. They still really haven't settled that. But universities are sometimes in other walks of life too. But we're honing in on college sports here for the sake of this discussion. They are forced to act first and deal with it later because the bad PR, the press, the heat gets on. And you know, it, it's one thing if you've got a coach, and this is a first offense, and you know he's got the story on his side. But with Rick Patino, he had run out of any sort of room, any sort of slack, any sort of benefit of the doubt a long time ago. So they had to act, and it didn't stop with him. They went right to the top. But at the end of the day, Tom Jurich walks away with $4.5 million. So that's hot. While money's not everything. You know, you certainly want a reputation. You want to work in college athletics, and you don't want this to be your legacy. You know, that's it, not a bad way to fall out of a scandal with $4.5 million in your pocket because the university didn't want to go through litigation. Seth mentioned this in his update, and T.O., to me, is one of those guys that almost falls in the LeVar Ball range. There are certain people that I even hesitate to say their name because you don't want to shine more attention on them. Now, that being said, I wonder if T.O., who when I worked for the Bills, I dealt with T.O., I saw what kind of a presence he was around a team, and T.O. is sort of, how can I put this? It's He's like a black hole, like just everything gets sucked towards him, and it's not always good, right, all the attention and everything, and he kind of thrives on it, and he just kind of says what's on his mind, and, you know, this time he said, and I quote, It's mind-boggling that Jason Garrett still has a job. Quote, when you really look at it, it doesn't make sense for Jason Garrett to continue to have his job. The Cowboys are not really expanding or progressing, even as a team, under his tenure there. Now, Garrett overall, 68-55 and since taking over in 2010. He's the second longest tenured coach. He's the second winningest coach in Dallas Cowboys history, behind Tom Landry. So that'll get you on the good side of a lot of Cowboy fans. They went 12 and 4 in 2014. They signed him into a five year deal. But is T.O. that wrong to say that it's mind boggling that Jason Garrett is still the coach of the Dallas Cowboys based on how quickly you get fired in the National Football League these days if you don't make the playoffs, if you don't win yesterday? After the Cowboys were eliminated from playoff contention during this past season, Jerry Jones said he understood the frustration of the fan base, but, quote, I feel good about our head coach. My question is, why? Is it the personnel that you have? Is it the quarterback that you have? Is it the running back that you have? The great offensive line that you have? What have the Cowboys done under Jason Garrett that makes me say, he has to be our guy? To is one of those people that will just kind of say things that's on everybody else's mind. And in this case, I think he's saying what's on the minds of more people than you would think saying, and I quote, at the end of the day, how can you keep allowing the players to be the scapegoat for what's not happening, especially when you have a head coach that's supposed to be offensive-minded? They're supposed to direct and lead the team to where it hasn't gotten in a number of years, and that's pretty much been in a standstill under Garrett, saying, uh, adding, I should say, quote, it all boils down to players being the scapegoat for his inability to lead the team as he should. For me, it's mind-boggling. Now, Garrett's one of the smartest coaches in the league, has a lot of respect from people. I mean, Jason Witten is going to be on Monday Night Football now, and I mean, he'll speak the world of a guy like Jason Garrett, but how wrong is T.O.? Other coaches held to a certain standard with the most prominent franchise in the National Football League would not be coaching doing what Jason Garrett did with this team. So, T.O., I, I'll, I'll half agree with you here. I don't think he's pointing out something that's outlandish. I think he's pointing out something a lot of people agree with. So savor the flavor, T.O. It doesn't happen often. On that note, we will take a break. Much more to come. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Thank you. Bye-bye.